why don't you start from the very beginning? The very beginning. Well, the very beginning was uh, Jerry Bolander bringing to you know to me a, a VHS copy that his uncle recorded of UFC one, you know, and he was like so stoked. He's like, "Holy shit, Pete, you gotta you gotta see this." And you know, we watched that tape, and of course, you know, we you know we were hooked. Which and UFC was it? UFC one. Oh wow, the first one. Yeah, first one. Yeah, the very first one. So you know, right off the bat, you know, you just watch. Gerard Gordeau, you know, face kick, you know, two weeks out, <laughs> you know, and we were like, holy shit, you know, what, what are we, what did we just, you know, come across? Pete, and, so, uh, is that the first time you laid eyes on Ken Shamrock? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first I've ever peeked into that world um, at all. You know, I, I didn't, wasn't in martial arts. Um, always, you know, actress, you know, you watch, uh, you know, martial arts movies, pro wrestling, this, but I never had any martial arts training other than high school wrestling. So, and, and I didn't really follow in, you know, classic martial arts, you know, sports. So this was really my first, you know, introduction into that, uh, that whole scene. It's really good. So Chris Lytle's joining us. Chris. What's happening, team? What's happening, guys? We got El Dudo with us, Pete Williams, brother. Pete Williams, how the hell you doing, man? Good, man. How you been? Great, great, man. Long time no uh, see or anything. Yeah, I, I, I think we were at a couple of events uh, together. Um, I'm, I, I, don't I don't remember these dates exactly or anything. <laughs> That's what we got Mike for. Yeah, we had to put Mike here for a minute. So, no, Japan. If you had to guess between Chris, yourself, and Pete, you guys probably ran into each other more in Japan than in the United States. Probably not. He was usually doing the probably more the pride thing. I was more the pancreation thing. So, no cornering organizations. They didn't mesh well, Mike. They don't they don't like each other. Pete, you were cornering a lot in Japan. Yeah, um, yeah, I would. Corner guy, uh, you know, Ken, um, Trey Tellman, you know, a few of the guys on, on different events, depending on who could make it. You know, we, we all, you know, just kind of filled in wherever wherever needed. That's cool. That's cool. Hey. So you and Jerry Bolander, high school wrestlers. Jerry seems like the type that may have been pushing the gas pedal a lot in order to get to the next gear. And you seem more of like a laid back guy. How do you two connect so well? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We, you know, I think uh, friendships and relationships in general are, you know, there's a mix of, of uh, personalities and dynamics that work well. You know, you can't have, um, you know, two guys that are too necessarily similar. Um, but. You know, I don't know. I remember meeting Jerry, you know, uh, we had a math class in high school and uh, there was one day where, you know, he's like, he comes to me. I don't know why. Probably, uh, I was the bigger guy. I don't know. But he's like, yeah, hey, I got to I got to fight this guy. You know, just stand here, watch my back. So his, his friend doesn't, you know, jump in on me. 
And uh, so, you know, I did. He kind of just got this guy in a headlock. The kid kind of tapped out, and, and uh, you know, we went to math class. <laughs> and from then on, you know, we were just we just started hanging out. Well, your career starts July 22nd, 1996. It's in Pancrase. It's a two-day tournament. And right off the bat, Ken sends you into a four-man. So how long have you been training prior to this? Oh, so that was the Neil Blood tournament. And I think I was training I, – I started in September of 95. Uh, and I think that was in July, July of, of 96. 96. Okay. So okay. maybe, you know, nine months. So had, had you had to go through the whole, you know, the, the tryouts where you do the 500 squats and all. Had, had you had to go through that whole thing or was that before that? Oh, yeah. No, uh, that actually, well, the, the tryouts evolved. Like originally it was just – you know, you had to, you know, fight either Ken or one of the fighters and just kind of get your ass kicked. Then it switched to the, the format um, with the, you know, kind of like the physical trial kind of thing. You still had to do um, 10, 15 minutes each of um, boxing and or uh, kickboxing and, and MMA or, you know, grappling. Um, but it wasn't just the same kind of, you know, ass beating that's, was the original uh, method and and also you know brought back on certain occasions you know where maybe it was a, a you know a special tryout <laughs> so talk about your tryout what you did you get ken full on you're, you're a big guy so you probably had to get the big the you know the big guy treatment no well you know luckily no um uh I, you know i was actually in the class for maybe a week and I was doing real well. And Ken came, came to me while I was stretching out one class and asked me, you know, he's like, Hey, you Pete. And I'm like thinking, and this is the first time I've seen him or talked to him. And I'm like, yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm stretching out on the mat. I'm looking up and I'm like, Holy shit. You know, he's like, uh, you know, I, I heard you doing, you know, pretty well in the class. You know, I, I got this tryout coming up next month. You know, I want you to, you know, I want you to uh, try out for the team. So without even really kind of thinking this through, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, um, I'll do it. So I was kind of, kind of, you know, committed, I guess, from that, that point and, uh, you know, started getting ready for this tryout. But, uh, you know, the day of the tryout came and it was just scorching hot, like 103 and Lodi. <laughs> and, you know, we're out at the football field running bleachers, uh, <laughs> doing all, you know, just all the crazy stuff, you know, duck walks up this super steep hill and running with guys on our shoulders. And, uh, the funny thing is we, we go right back to the gym for the, for the other part of this. Um, but we're riding in this old school limo and the windows don't roll down. It's like black, <laughs> black limo. So we're just roasting in the, in, in the back of this fucking limo. And yeah, so we get back there. The first thing I do is just run to the bathroom, puke my guts out. And, uh, um, you know, and then get right back to, you know, the, the, the 500 squats and push-ups and then uh, the wrestling and, and the kickboxing, which luckily was not with Ken. It was, um, I think, uh, I had to 
uh, kickbox with Vern and um, wrestle with Jerry. I'm pretty sure it was. I don't know. I was pretty pretty out of it at that point. <laughs> but, um, was Jerry in the same group as you, or were you guys in different groups? No, he was in a good maybe two months before me. Mm. Um, and he was the one who was, you know, just harassing you to go out there. You know, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to go out there. And he's like, just come to the class. Just come to the class. And, you know, I finally did and, and you know, did kind of well in there. And then, you know, the rest was just Ken. It's probably seeing a big guy who could, who could wrestle and was like, you know, let's, let's, let's get this guy. He's, you know, he, we could use another big guy. Notable that we, we know they are, was it just we the only one who really made it? Um, I made it along with uh, another another guy, and man, I don't know why I'm blanking on, on his name. Um, fuck, I want to say we called him, his name was Ken, we called him Young Ken, and <laughs> and he was he was there for a while. Um, he lasted longer than, than most people, but, you know, I think eventually he, um, you know, decided that this was not the life for him. So, um, mm. you know, he, he called it quits. So those practices, they sound absolutely horrific and brutal. Yeah. It appears to me that your entire weekend, you're looking like you've got a pumpkin on the side of your head just from practice. Like you're, constantly explaining where your lumps came from is, is am i off on that you know yes and no we we didn't uh beat each other up that much while i was there as far as like leaving like you know you know big bruises on our our faces our head we, we did a lot of uh you know extreme shit and and really it depended on whether ken was there or not how how extreme the the training was when we when he wasn't there we would go hard no doubt but you know when ken was there it was like okay now we're gonna do we're gonna you know fucking see what you guys are made of kind of shit it's you know do you feel like ken was kind of like the main like head instructor there or was he just another guy working out do you have any real instructors or was just you guys teaching each other how to fight it was us teaching each other how to fight you know um and, you know, with some of, uh, obviously Ken would teach us, but, you know, Ken wasn't the, you know, let me, let's sit down and let's go over technique, you know? Yeah. Ken, yeah. Ken would just, you know, put a whooping on you <laughs> and you had to survive, you know? So you were just kind of learning by just trying to, to not get fucked up. And um, which, you know, had its, had its merits. And I think, you know, once he was gone and we were fighting – with each other, we definitely took some of that, those lessons and just like, okay, you know, this is, you know, maybe some stuff we got to work on. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was, you know, Frank, you know, for the first year or so before he left um, and uh, me, Jerry, um, there was um, Another guy, Jason Delucia's guy, um, who tried out a little bit later on, um, Hagar, and um, Vern, obviously. Um, and we were just, you know, watching video, watching Pancras, watching the fights, checking out moves, and just 
just kind of rolling. You know, the good thing was, is we were, you know, we were competitive and we were, you know, uh, really trying to, you know, to, to win, I guess, in these uh, training matches. But it was also, we were really kind of tight as a team and no one was, you know, trying to hurt each other. Or no one was ashamed if they got caught in something. So we were just trying crazy shit just to experiment, you know, and sometimes we do like a really, really cool move, something we hadn't seen. And we just, okay, let's, you know, what happened there? Let's just keep, you know, messing with this. And it really, really allowed us to kind of learn um, really, really fast. And, you know, it's funny, that sounds like the way, you know, we were doing stuff back in India, Indianapolis where I live, like Jason got to know a guy you fought later, but a lot of the same stuff, everybody just kind of teaching each other and learning. It wasn't like there was a blueprint and there was no – I mean, there might have been a Gracie's place, but not in Indianapolis. So you're just kind of trying to learn by by figuring it out yourself. So, uh, But a real quick side note, how did you do in that Neo Blood tournament? Um, so I was runner-up. Um, well, you can't, can't take them through it? Did, oh, did my this bad. Is, Sorry, no, 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 Chris, this is fantastic. Here, here. So it's July 22nd, 1996. His first fight is uh, Kima Koniko. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not familiar with them. He wins the yeah. decision. That's on day one. Right. Day two, he fights Osami Shibuya. He beat, wins the decision, and then he goes into the finals against a guy that just beat Semi Shilt Ikiichiro Yamamiya, otherwise known as Yuki Kondo. <laughs> yes. It's hard yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a tough fight. That was a tough fight, you know. And you know, I, I kind of, I, I, you know, and this is like a, a I, I look back and kind of a theme in my career of making poor uh, strategic uh, decisions, you know. And <laughs> and it, and instead of you know kind of continuing, you know, what what was winning me these fights in the in in the first two. You know, I decided not to strike him on the ground. I kind of wanted to beat him at his own game, kind of thing, and and that's you know hard to do because he's a good striker and he um, was definitely winning the the fight on the feet. And you know, my best strategy would have been to you know once I got him down, you know, put a whooping on him. Um, but you know, I kind of got got away from that. You know, that's something I did in the first fight with uh, with Cooney. Um, the second fight, um, I was doing that, I think, a little bit with uh, Shibuya. But, you know, I think I got him in a, in a knee bar or something. So I got a, a – he had to grab the ropes. And I think that was really what won that match. But then in this fight with Kondo, um, yeah, I just kind of lost my focus, lost, lost, lost the script a little bit. And, you know, he got a, he got a decision. Well, now, let me, let me I, ask you: Was was Ken with you on that one? Did you go with Ken? No, Ken wasn't there. It was um, shit. It was Guy, Frank, uh, Jason, I believe. Okay, um, Jason was there. I thought I saw Trey too, but I wasn't sure. I don't think so, but you know, there's a good chance that that he was probably also there. Okay. Now, now, I mean, I know. Did you did you have the thought like I felt like the Japanese in a way they they almost kind of looked down on like getting a guy and kind of ground and pound him 
in a way it was more they wanted more of the technique. Did you did that play in your head at all? Is that maybe why you did it? That yeah, or you you kind of hit it on the on the head there. I felt you know th that was kind of the way that, that that the sport was for the most part. You know they did look down on kind of a ground and pound kind of um, tactic, and so I think that kind of did play into this. Like I want to win this, you know, under these rules, you know. Yeah. But you know you look back and you look at guys like Boss Rudin and, and whatever, <laughs> and they never abided by that shit. You know what I mean? And I know. you know, and it, it was um, yeah, it's a setup to make you follow those the, rules. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, was obviously to, um, you know, to their advantage, I think, to not do that. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that that, you know, was a major player in kind of the the, the psychology of what what I was kind of doing there. No, no. I mean, go ahead. Hi, Pete. I'm sorry. No, it's Chris. Uh, that, Chris, go ahead. That, go ahead that's Chris. Got, I was saying – you know, I remember same thing like you're saying when I was going there early. I was a young kid, and so I mean, I I was I was going with like Phyllis and Jason, but I mean, like I was trying to I don't know would make a good impression on them, I should say. So I tried to abide by those rules, which probably cost yeah. me a couple of fights. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we did you feel like that? Or was you guys coming the lines and we're like we're going to run this? Are we trying to still abide? You know. Were you? Did you have that same almost like a young guy mentality? Like I, I'm trying to just be liked by these guys, or trying to make them want me to come back and all that stuff? Or, or was that not really the case? Well, you know, I don't think it was so much of a. Um, it was I going to come back? I felt you know I was on I was on the lion's den. Ken was kind of the guy supplying a lot of the American fighters. So okay. I felt if I had a good performance, you know, I, I would I would come back. Um, I just. I think it was, I don't know, just some idea of, of like a respect thing or like, you know, earning, you know, okay. like do, doing this and, and doing it under these rules and still kind of, you know, coming out on top. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, which, as you know, in the fight game, <laughs> you don't don't add any extra rules you don't need to. You don't go out there and win the fight. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. So, in our interviews with Scott Bissack, Delusia, uh, Galindo, even Vernon White, everybody, all of them, the, uh, the theme was it seemed well, Bissack wasn't there when Galindo was. It seemed as if Kent really focused on Vernon and Galindo whenever kind of things got a little bit crazy, like he always kind of held them to task. But none of them mentioned your name. Like whenever Ken had issues outside of the ring and he would take it out on somebody, were you ever on the receiving end of, of, of Ken's issues? No, not really. But I, I think, you know, Ken, we didn't have that relationship. Like I wasn't, you know, doing any of his real kind of dirty work or, you know, in, in any of his business, you know. So I, I was kind of outside of that that little you know sphere of danger you know so i didn't really have to deal with um with the same stuff that they did now, let me take you back to tokyo and, and this pancreas neo blood tournament i mean at the end of the day yuki kondo was going to be pancreas's poster boy probably for the next decade you know 
Did you feel yeah. a little bit of it was Lions Den versus you know the Pancrase way or or you know what what you know did you did did you feel any way they slanted it for him and not for you because uh you know they they, they have a tendency to do that. Yeah, of course. You know, it's Japan. Um, you know, if you look in, 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 in the people who fought on that card, you know, I, I probably had the toughest uh, toughest road to, to the final, you know. Um, he did uh, beat Semi, but, you know, Semi was a, a, a kickboxer. And, you know, I think if they, he was still kind of young in his career and he definitely didn't have the grappling. And it, it was already kind of proven if you can get a guy like that, you know, on the ground – you know, the danger. I, I will even interject by saying Semi, although from a traditional martial art background, kickboxing guy, stand-up dude, he was under the same mindset, no, 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 I need to beat them at their own game. Like, Probably, and, you know, it, it, Semi didn't use the striking in the, in, the, in the condo fight. Really? Not really. Like, if you watch him and Gilbert Bell in Holland, Semi comes out all pancreased out. He refuses not to use pancreas rules in a fight that they weren't required. So it was just he was kind of in the same mode that, that you guys both said you were. Probably. And I think part of that was just kind of maybe almost, you know, put out there to kind of foster that, yeah. that kind of thing. My theory, my running theory, and because I know Crazy Bob Cook, you worked out with him. Oh, yeah. For a while, a.k.a had a lot of issues having athletes get injured prior to the UFC fights. And I kind of took it from whatever he witnessed at the lion's den, just kind of carried over into AKA and he was ever never really able to shake that. What was your experience like training with crazy Bob cook? Well, uh, you know, we gave him his name, you know, crazy Bob, because, <laughs> you know, he, he was, uh, you know, quiet guy, you know, and just real, you know, one of those like quiet guys that, you know, is, is, is dangerous, you know, but he was a fucking uh, lumberjack, you know, and he would like be cutting, you know, down trees all day in the mountains, drive down over an hour. I, I forget. It was some ridiculous hour and a half or something to come train with us and then go back and then go, you know, do logging again the next day so you know that was kind of one of the big reasons we called him crazy bob because you know who the fuck does that you know <laughs> at the end of a day of something like that you come and and uh go do mma for two hours and go home all right so ladies and gentlemen at home if you've got fight pass on october 11th 1996 super bowl two Pete Williams' second MMA outing is in Hawaii, and it's another four-man tournament. So there's you're all in. Could you tell us about your first opponent, Donald Yobo de la Cruz? Uh, yeah, he was a you know pretty massive dude. He was like four hundred something pounds. Wait, 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 wait! You guys got to see this. Pete is like. <laughs> 198 pounds. He looks like a stick figure. This dude is, he's listed at 412. They're lying. They are a lion. This dude looks like he's built like Grimace from McDonald's, except he's like a tough Hawaiian. Right. 
And he was, you know, he was, uh, you know, really overweight. But I mean, he was not. He was much. He could move. His his legs were were solid, you know. And he was he was built like an islander, you know. He was he was he was sturdy. Yeah, bottom head. You know. Yeah. And you know, so you know, I was I was uh, I wasn't too intimidated. I knew that you know, hey, I just need to get this guy if you know. Just don't let him get on top of me. It was was my was was my game plan. You know, I can probably outstrike him um, if we're on the ground. I just don't want to be on the bottom. And you know, it was kind of the you know strategy I was taking into the fight. You know, um, I sent a picture to Galindo, and I'm like, "WTF is this?" And he's like, yeah. "Oh, dude, oh yeah, dude, that's Hawaii." Yeah, he was he knew exactly of it, and. You wind up in the finals against the ghetto blaster, Joe Charles. The ghetto man. A ghetto man. The ghetto man. Yes, yeah. ghetto man. Um, which I think he had just switched from no rules, or maybe he went from ghetto man to no rules. I forget. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Joe Charles, he was definitely trying to play, play the mind games, you know, before the, before the uh, match, you know, when we were warming up in the ring before the event, you know, he was, I forget what he was saying. He was mentioning something. He was like, yeah, you know, something about throwing, throwing somebody out of the ring, you know, what would happen, you know, what would happen, you know, if you got thrown out of the ring, landed on the, the floor. I just, you know, nothing like overt, but just this kind of head game. Say ghetto thing. man things. That's what he yeah. was doing. But, uh, <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, going into that fight, when I, just to go back to the De La Cruz fight, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of sticking and moving, trying to hit this guy, you know, throwing some leg kicks. And I was landing the leg kicks, so I, I go to throw this this next leg kick, and I, I try and put some little bit of heat on it, and he checks it. He lifts his leg and check it, and I swear I. Totally thought I broke my ankle because I <laughs> kicked him right straight in the in the front of the knee, and I just felt my ankle slinky out around his leg, and you know you just like felt all the bones in my in my <laughs> ankle, you know separate, and I go and I put it back down, you know, and I'm thinking, well shit, I'm still standing, you know it doesn't hurt that much, but so I, I just kept going in the fight. Um, End up, end up winning the fight. Um, I go back backstage and I, I tell Jerry, I'm like, Jerry, I fuck, I dude, I broke my ankle. I don't know. He's like, well, you know, let me take a look at it. He's like, it's probably fine. You know, he's trying to keep me in the, in the game. So he goes to take off, have those little neoprene sleeves, and he goes to take it off, and my ankle makes <laughs> the most disgusting sound. It was just like. You know, just just gravel, <laughs> and you could see kind of the look of horror on his face. You know, he's thinking, you know, he's like, "Oh fuck!" He's like, "Hold on, I'm gonna go talk to Ken." You know, he tells me later he runs out there. He's like, "Ken, I think Pete broke his ankle," and he, Ken's like, "Don't tell him that. Tell him he's fine. <laughs> Tape that up, <laughs> and you know, get him ready for the next fight." Which you know, which we do. Um, so I tape up my ankle. And I go out and fight uh, Joe Charles. And, um, yeah, you know, keeping keep the head in the game. Yeah, yeah. Let me 
Let me ask you this question, though, because that, that's a very interesting exchange there. And, you know, we always know Ken's real tough on his guys. But, you, you know, you were injured, you went in, you won, you gutted it out the next match. Now, did Ken ever express, like, that he was proud of you? Or, like, was there any, like, positive reinforcement coming from this? Because it's a great experience for you. Yeah, I, you know, nothing directly. I don't think any, nothing like mentioning, you know, like, oh, you, you know, you fought through the, the injury or anything, you know, but, you know, you could tell he was he was happy. His guys won that night. He got the belt, you know, and we went out, okay. you know, went out drinking. And, you know, I went out all night, you know, on this fucking bum, <laughs> bum ankle, uh, which, dude. The next day after flying home, and I remember riding in the car, my ankle looked like a fucking volleyball. Man. Um, it hit that big meaty knee of his. Yeah. Hey, did you did you feel like did you feel like you had a like not added pressure is the right word, but like you had a you were lying to him, man. You had something to uphold. You guys knew you were better than everybody and you had to go out and prove it every time. Did you feel any extra pressure from that, or was it just kind of a, a confident? Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, both, you know, I mean, I think they both kind of um, feed, you know, kind of feed okay. off each other. You know, you, you're like, hey, you know, or fucking Lion's Den, you know, Ken Shamrock and, and, and all these guys, you know, we, you know, we, tr we train hard. We know we train hard. We train harder than most people because people come and train with us and they don't want to fucking, you know, they don't want to stay, you know? And, <laughs> And that was Ken's mentality, you know, it was like, you're going to train, you're going to be happy that it's fight day because training is over, you know, and you're going to go through anything and everything you could possibly imagine before you get in there because you don't want to be surprised. You don't want to be in there and go, oh man, this I'm in a situation I've never been in before. I'm hurt. I'm whatever. And, you know, what do I do? No, you, you, you want, he wanted you to go in there like, yeah, this is just another you know, another day in training, you know, and, and to prepare me for that first tournament, because it was the first MMA tournament, there was some rough, rough fucking training. Um, I remember one, one day he came in after training, after fucking training is just wrapping up and I'm exhausted. We worked out hard. He's like, Pete, you know, put on the gloves, you know, and come over here. And you know, when he says that, you know, you're just oh. like, oh, fuck. Jesus Christ, you know. So he's like, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, in, I'm gonna mount you, and we're gonna do five minute rounds of you escaping, <laughs> and I'm gonna be striking you. Awesome. This is like, this is after you know training. I'm already exhausted, and then I got Ken's, you know, did, fucking. Did you try to negotiate? Out. Did you try uh, to meet halfway? No, no negotiation. That would just. That would be a bad if you tried to talk your way out of it. That would only worsen things. <laughs> hey Pete, let, let me ask you this question: How many times did he say, "All right, you mount me and let me see how I escape"? <laughs> yeah, no, that that never happened. <laughs> that was not part of the training. Yeah, I thought that was your answer. <laughs> but uh, I swear to God, we went like six rounds at least, five minute rounds. Oh, wow. Him. Yeah, no, it was not. There was nothing like halfway. It was. It was. It was always this, you know, fucking, you know, trial. You know, going through this trial by fire. 
You know what, uh, though? Old school mentality like that, I think it's great because I guarantee you whenever in a fight, we thought, I've never been the star. I'm not in this position. You were used to it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, in my opinion, back then, you guys were prop definitely the best training center in the country. I don't know about in the world. I don't know. Hard to sure. say in Brazil, but you guys were – to me, when I first started fighting, you guys still – that was what I thought of. I started in 98. So. I feel, you know, we were – you know, um, and, and the Pancras style, what, what we were bringing to MMA was what MMA became. You know, we called it submission fighting, where ours was a, you know, uh, um, position dominant type of wrestling. You know, we could wrestle from the bottom, but, you know, who wants to just give up their back, you know, go on their back? Yeah. You know, we were like, wrestle from the top, pressure, pressure, you know, strike, you know. You know, look for a submission, but you know you don't want to be kind of the guy letting sitting back and letting someone attack you. You were just on the offensive, and you know this is kind of what you know modern jujitsu now now is. There's there's no gi. They call it no gi now, which we you know obviously never used, and it's you know it's fighting from the top, you know, um, strike you know, and, and look for submissions. Um, so at the time, I felt we were, um, yeah, leading, you know, kind of the, the country's bad boys, man. Yeah. What's that? Yes, What's we're that? the bad boys of the entire country. Yeah. Yeah, we were, you know, yeah. we were riding high there for a couple of years. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're relevant for quite a few. You know, unfortunately, there, you know, Ken and, and, and uh, we weren't like the business savvy as, as say the Gracies and, and other people, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and so that, you know, that, that legacy didn't really carry over as, as much as, you know, well, maybe a bit of our, I'd like to have seen. Well, Pete, I mean, you guys were a fighter gym and I've always tell people fighter gyms don't make money, man. I mean, you know, the Gracies, they, their whole idea was to, you know, turn us into, you know, Taekwondo and put a jiu-jitsu center yeah. in every city, and they did that. You guys were pure yeah. fighters. They weren't pure fighters. Yeah, and, and it, you know, that's, that's but, you know, ultimately, I don't know, it's, the even though it's a sport, it's a business, you know, and you can you can have a lot of success or, or, or whatnot, or, you know, maybe have um, uh, a great style, but, if you can't market that and if you can't get other people to, to follow in that, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's just a shelf life. Agree. Agree. Let me ask you about, uh, uh, Mikey Burnett too, because this is, you, you know, this is a guy that right around this time came in and came in kind of like when you and Jerry kind of became real good friends. Like guy was like, you know, maybe consider Vernon and, and Ken's generation, but Mikey fit right in with you guys. Why don't you talk about, like, meeting him and how he came aboard, because he was in the, uh, you know, Tulsa Lions then, and, and that's also when Ken was looking like, you know, like the business is going good. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, well, Mikey came in, you know, still while we were in Lodi, um, and there was no, you know, Lions Den. Tulsa. I don't even know if even there was ever a Lions Den Dallas. It was always Guy Guy Mesger's mixed martial arts, but they were kind of like our 
you know, or Ken's affiliate. Yeah. yeah. And um, so Mikey came uh, a few months after me. I, I honestly can't remember. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe even six months. I, I don't, Okay. I can't remember exactly, but you know, he was another guy in the tryout and, and we, you know, you know, we were, we were talking cause he came in and, you know, he was one of those guys who was really cocky, you know, he had some fights <laughs> under his belt and he was, he's like, you know, he, he, he just had that attitude. And so, you know, me and Jerry were like, Oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta kick this guy's ass, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, we, you know, put him through the tryouts. Um, he, he, and obviously he made it. Um, he was, he did, he did well. And, and, um, but, you know, we put it on him. We made sure that, you know, he wasn't just going to walk into this thing. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he passed the test and, you know, he was, he was a savage, you know, he's a small guy, 165, 175 pounds, you know, and he's going with all of us who are all 200 plus pound guys at the time. And he would, you know, he would hang, you know, I mean, he he had, you know, it was, it was tough. And there was days where, you know, it was just like, fuck, I got to go with Pete. You know, the guy outweighs me by, you know, 50, 60 pounds, <laughs> but, but he, you know, he would, uh, you know, he would put a whipping on you and especially wrestling takedowns and all that, man, the guy would just, it didn't matter. I was, he would, you know, slam you. It was, you know, he it, was good to, it was a good addition, you know, to. He had, he had good wrestling and very good boxing as well. And his boxing came more on later when he went back. To oh, Oklahoma. okay. You okay. know, he did have a good right hand. He could punch, but his, his skill really developed, you know, um, later on. Okay. I didn't know him until later. So I just knew when I knew him, I thought he had good boxing, but that was too, I didn't mean until 2006. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, he, he got that way because I think he was a good natural puncher and, you know, really worked with some, uh, you know, he kind of took to it, you know, devoted a lot of his training to it and really, really kind of got the. Uh, we did, we did, she reached out to him a couple of times. He's just not interested in doing interviews, unfortunately. But, but like another person, in 1999, that tried out, that was a smaller guy that certainly, at least on paper, appears to would have fit, fit in was Jens Pulver. Do you remember Jens Pulver's tryout? Um, maybe, vaguely, because in 99, I was still in uh, Dallas. I moved back to San Diego around two, in 2000, I think. Um, but I did make it out there um, a couple times, I remember. Um, I do remember a trial, but I don't remember all the guys who were who were in there. So, so Chris, essentially, Lytle or uh, Jens Pulver passes everything, and then at the end, they just tell him, "Hey, we got nobody your size, man. Sorry, you can't be on the team." Really, damn. Yeah, and uh, that might have been like a a Ken, you know, thing. I. I Really, not sure what. Um, well, it was before they even had a close weight class, too. I mean, let's kind of call it what. One seventy was the lightest weight class back then. They're probably like, "What are we going to do with this guy? He can't make one." I mean, he's not a one seventy pounder, you know. And that was in that one seventy two hundred heavyweight. In in like 
the way their practices were set up at the Lions Den, like Mikey Burnett was fighting heavyweights, you know, like yeah. And I think you know, yeah, Mikey was like a rare, you know, small guy who could make it because he was a he was a big small guy, you know, the guy he was jacked and he could, you know, he had, <laughs> he, he had that power. He could, you know, he could toss you. He could he could hang in there. So I think that was kind of the one exception. You know, of the, of the small guy who who was in there, but you know, like you said back then, the sport there were really weren't weight classes. They were just entering some weight classes around that time, and it was still, you know, bigger was better. You know, it, it's incredible just to watch the progression of the sport, and even at times like oh, one forty five. Who wants the one hundred and forty five pound weight class? Or when they eliminate the fifty five pound weight class. Who cares? Who cares? Meanwhile, like 45, 55, 70, in my opinion, those are the most exciting weight classes in the sport, like in, in boxing. Yeah. Outside of the head. Yeah, you know, you, you really get to see, you know, <laughs> the, the great technique, you know, you oh, don't yeah. have the, the, the heavyweights are great, you know, for power and you, and you can see some, you know, you watch the fireworks, but with the, with the smaller guys and you just start seeing all this acrobatic shit, you know, just really exciting athletes um, yeah um, yeah athletes and, and techniques that you're not going to see the the high you know the heavier you go okay so on january 17th 1997 you return to hawaii super brawl three super brawl seems to be kind of like the lion's den home stadium do you get that feel yeah. as well they bring a lot yeah, of i mean that was kind of one of the you know uh bigger um uh you know organizations organizations yeah you know at the time and i don't know maybe it was that it was in hawaii also you know it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a trip and there's no rules it's like head butts no gloves head stamps pride rules no yeah, yeah. board yeah so no. you fight john renfro who took the fight on one week notice and you're, uh -huh. and you're Another four-man tournament, I might add. Yeah. Yeah, and I knew him. You know, he's a Pankers guy. He had come down and trained with us before and was a tough guy. He was another guy who, you know, kind of, you know, tried to get in, get in your head a little bit. But, you know, he, when he had come down and trained with us, that was a much earlier time. You know, I had gone through many more months of training. So, um you know, whereas when we trained together initially, it was it was pretty close. But you know, I I had uh, gone through a lot of shit since then, and um, I was just able to, you know, finish him pretty quickly on that. So Doug Murphy is supposed to meet you in the finals, and he's injured. Even though his like fight was real quick, well, that's not true. He had a little rough go, but. Like he, he opted not to fight in the finals. They give you the belt. Do they give you your tournament tournament win money or just your show money for the first fight? Um, no, I believe I got I, the win money. Um, although you know I was kind of disappointed because I think that he was a um, uh, he was a uh, Matt Hume guy, and I believe before that fight he was kind of talking some trash, kind of hyping it up, and and so it was. It was a little bit disappointing that, you know, he, he didn't, uh, you know, make it to the finals. But, 
And I guess I don't know what the deal was. There was no alternate alternates. Like I think the other guy who he fought was maybe the alternate, and they both decided not to to take the fight. <laughs> At this point, are you thinking, you know, I'd like to go back to Japan. I'd like to fight in the UFC. I mean, what do you? What's your goal at this point? Um, honestly, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where I was just kind of a, a, along for the ride a little bit, you know. I, I mean, I was kind of seeing, you know, where where Ken was going to put me, whether it was <laughs> um, Pancras or you know, or stepping up to the USC. You know, I was just focus on training and 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 winning fights. Just uh, at this point in your career, now you've done Pancras, and you've already dealt with the technical aspects of you know trying to impress the Japanese. Now it's Super Brawl. You're, you're talking full out headbutts and stuff. What what do you which did you like better? What did you want to do? Um. I, I did like the the Pancras um, and UFC. You know the headbutts. I wasn't as in into them. Um, I just think it's kind of a, you know, it's just an ugly, a little bit of an ugly technique. And and I say that you know, winning like that first fight in there with with some headbutts uh, as part of the thing. But you know, I was not planning on using headbutts um, in that fight, but. Um, Yobo was like, he, I, I was mounting on, on him, I was throwing some punches, some elbows, and he started like scratching, you know, my face. And he, he actually grabbed, like, got his fingernails in my uh, mouth and under my tongue, cut, you know, cut my mouth. So I think he was pulling down on, on he, he grabbed like my, my lower jaw and he kind of cut um, my, under my tongue. And and this was after he, he had scratched me a little bit. And I was like, all right, you want to, you know, pull my head down? And that, that, that was the first headbutt, you know, it was just like, here it goes. Boom. And, you know, opened a big cut on him and I just threw a few more. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, my for me, you know, headbutts are, I mean, if we're talking like true, you know, no holds barred, you know, yes, you know, headbutts are part of it. But if we're talking about sport and fighter safety and, and whatnot, you know, they, they start getting on the extreme end of, of really what what should be allowed. They're a little crass. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just... Uncivilized, somewhat. Very caveman-ish, yeah. <laughs> caveman, there you go. So at this point in MMA, at this exact point... Ken Shamrock's calling out Tank Abbott. Yeah. Whatever happened with that? You know, there's a lot of a lot of fights that just don't happen for one reason or another, you know. Um, better fights become available, more money, um, injuries, blah, blah, blah. I, and I really don't know what happened with that. Um, they were, they were going to have me fight Tank at one point. Um, but again, that didn't happen, you know. Uh, you at UFC 13, did Hammer House protect Tito Ortiz from you guys from the Lions Den? Um, at UFC, which UFC was this? UFC 13 backstage, 
the Lions Den was about the pounce on Tito and the Hammer House kind of got in between everybody. Which fight was that? Like, who who did who did fight? Who fought on that card? You know what, man? I, we we get these nerds like us leaving comments in our in, in our like YouTube feed, and uh, PDY what? actually left that. And that, so, I mean that with respect because all of us are here for you know, being dorks. I mean, <laughs> That's the uh, that's the Mezger Ortiz main event. That's the rematch. The rematch? Yeah. The rematch? Yeah. Yeah. When when, when Tito get, wore, pull out that shirt at the after he beat guy. Game Mezger. Yeah. No, I mean, I if we if we were gonna you know jump him, would have probably been in there in the in the ring. You know, um, I I don't. I don't remember us trying to go and, and, and fight him so after that. It would have been Wait. a daggy Stanny type beatdown. <laughs> no, 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 I, I do apologize. I'm sorry. It's not the rematch. It's the this is Tito's debut. This oh, yep. okay. Debut. Well, well Tito, Tito lost even, that one. Guy beat yeah, him, Tito so. lost that one. Even less of a reason. I mean, um, you know, I wasn't there for that. You know, it was um, I, I forget maybe who was there, but. You know why? Why would we be trying to the guys be trying to come after after the guy? Just, you know, made him tap. Committed him. <laughs> you know, I, I could see how someone would think that on the second one. Um, you know, because we lost that one, but well, even then, and then Ken kind of him and Ken kind of get into it in the ring right there. Ken's pointing in his face after the rematch, I believe. Yeah, yeah. No, we were all you know. Uh, kind of pissed, and it, it sucks because um, I was helping guy train for that. We we're training up in uh, Oklahoma a little bit too, and and this is like one of the things with the Lions Den where it's like you never pull out of a fight and this and that. But you know, guy was like, you know, horribly sick the whole week before, 103 fever, and he was feeling better by the time of the fight. You know, obviously wasn't running that high of a temp, but. Um, he was just not in, in prime condition, and but there was no, I don't know, there was a lot, of, a lot of ego, no pulling out of the fight. So, you know, you just saw him just flat run out of gas. You know, he, he had nothing, nothing after the first, uh, you know, however long it was, five ten minutes. But and, you know, just you know, seeing Tito do his thing and just like, yeah, fuck, fuck this guy, you know. <laughs> You guys were all California guys. You know, he Tito ran with Tank initially. And I, I have to assume, I mean, mixed martial arts at the time was a very small community. Do you remember why Tito and Tank had their falling out? I don't. You know, I wasn't I wasn't part of that. You know, obviously that that circle, you know, we were pretty much on opposite, opposite sides. Um, you know, even so, yeah, there was really no information sharing there, you know? Okay, fair enough. You know, Steve, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, because we're, we're at UFC 13, I just checked it, and the, and the main event was Belfort and Tank, and you saw Belfort uh -huh. uh, also in Hawaii. So what was your first yeah. impressions of him? Because that, that's somebody that probably Ken would have said, you know, get ready for that guy to you. Or, you know, what, 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 what was the buzz around him? Um, there was nothing really directly like, you know, con concerning me. They, he wanted, um, 
he wanted Frank to fight him, which which they did in Hawaii on, on the on the second time around, I think. Because the first time around, I forget who he fought, but he just kind of cleaned him out, um, you know, with his, you know, blitz, his punch blitz, you know. And then <laughs> Frank fought him the next time. And we thought Frank won that. It was a tough, tough fight. You know, these guys were um, really kind of taking it to each other. But they gave it to, um, to Vitor. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, there was never talk of, of me fighting Vitor or our past really didn't get, you know, that close to each other. What about Oleg Tektarov? Were you ever present for the Ken Shamrock Oleg Tektarov sparring sessions? Oh yeah, I trained with Oleg. Um, you know, I, I don't not so much with he was there before I was, so I think a lot of their initial sparring sessions, you know, I, I was just not around for. Um, you know, but you know, I'm trained with with Oleg and, and the guy's got one of the nastiest uh, Achilles locks there is. Like, if anyone, you know, you get conditioned for to, to resist that submission because for the most part, it's just pain, you know, unless someone really, really gets it low, you know, they could they could hurt your ankle. They could, they, they could definitely pop your ankle. But for the most part, it's just kind of pressure on the Achilles. But, you know... I swear, his, you know, it felt like he was going to, like, rupture your freaking tibia <laughs> or something. You know, um, it, it was no joke. But, um, no, I mean, I, I was not present, actually, for... for uh, did, did, did you hear a rumor that he locked himself in the bathroom after fighting Ken and cried? You know, um, that's a rumor. I, I could maybe see Oleg, you know, doing that because Oleg was a very, you know, he's a, you know, he's a he's this tough Russian guy, but he's also, you know, he's, he was kind of had this, you know, soft side. I don't want to say soft, like he's like weak, but just, you know, he was, he was a, he was a good guy. He was a cool guy. And, you know, I could see him taking that. He's in that. touch with his emotions. <laughs> I can see him taking that a lot hard, you know, but again, that's, you know, that's just a, I've just just heard this now. <laughs> okay. Did you ever submit Ken Shamrock when rolling with him? Um, technically, yes. But you don't want to submit Ken Shamrock because <laughs> then you're going to have to deal with a fucking, you know, pissed off Ken Shamrock. So, you know, a lot of times it's just like you have to – you know, let things go so that it doesn't turn into a fucking, you know, <laughs> full-on fight. on the war. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, do I really want to, you know, do I really want this submission or do I want to just not, you know, get into a, a full-on scrap right now? Because, you know, he, 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 he has to get you back. You know, he would have to get you back. And not just the same, you know, like five, you know, ten times worse. So, it, it's not in your best interest necessarily to, you know, finish a submission. Now, you, you mentioned Frank and, and all the people in the Lions, and at some point, Frank gravitated and became influenced by Maurice Smith, who was also starting to be in the UFC around this time. What, what, what was your first meeting with Maurice? Uh, Maurice came down when we were in Lodi, 
and um you know was training with us was you know showing us obviously some some kickboxing and, and tie techniques which we needed you know we were all a bunch of wrestlers down there so we would train him on how to wrestle and how to do submissions and he would train us with kickboxing so it was a you know it was a, a good partnership you know he was the first guy who really kind of got my kicks um you know with some kind of technique and so you know he you know i i really you know give him a lot of credit for um helping me in that area you know in the early days were you close to frank at all yeah i mean i think we were all pretty close to each other you know for that first year you know we lived in the same house we were around each other 24 hours a day basically for for a good year um so you know you get to you get to know guys okay okay all right so you go back to japan after hawaii you beat uh Jupe castile out of the dolman gym in hawaii or in uh in holland famous gym uh at that point, Guy Metzger starts throwing World Pancreation Championships. You fight Scott Mullen. And then, in about a week's notice, you get called up against Mark Coleman at UFC 17 in the main event. Your yeah. UFC debut. Can I take right. us through the process of how you got the fight, the conversations that took place in regards to it? Yeah, well... You know, I was already training. I was in Dallas at the time because the Lions Den in Lodi had closed down. Ken went to the um, WWF at the time. And so that gym closed, and I needed a place to train. So I was in in Dallas with Guy and Trey and uh, Alex Andrade. And I, at the time, I was actually training for uh, Dan Severn. I was, I was scheduled to fight Dan Severn who, you know, luckily was, you know, it was a very similar kind of fight. So I was already training to fight kind of a, a big wrestler. And, um, you know, I get this call from, from Jerry and he's like, Pete, he's like, I got, we got a fight for you. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, it's a, it's a bigger fight. It's a better fight. I'm like, bigger fight. Like I already danced ever. And I was like, damn, you know, this guy's already, experienced guy probably the toughest guy i was gonna fight up to that point he's like no way bigger i'm like well who the fuck is way bigger than than dan severn he's like mark coleman and i'm like like what you know i'm thinking you know okay you're just gonna throw mark coleman out there huh and um, i asked him i was like i don't know man i mean you think you think uh this is good for me to take this you think He's like, and Jerry's always like the optimist. He's like, "Fuck yeah, you fucking, you're gonna kill this guy," you know. <laughs> and so I'm like, "Okay, well, fuck it, let's do it," you know, let's do this. And yeah, it was literally like a week out, maybe at most two weeks out. And um, you know, I agreed to the fight, and definitely, you know, the last the last week of training, because we would normally take a light week before the fight, you know, not go super heavy, um, just kind of stay, stay sharp. But, you know, I had a good week there of a little bit extra motivation in, 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 my, in my training. Now, now I, I believe, I mean, Mark had just been killing everybody, and then I, I hadn't had more issues kind of beating before that, so that kind of gave you like the blueprint, hey, this is all I got to do. 
You know, if I get, he gets taking me down, it's kind of oh, weather, yeah. weather the storm and then kick him up in the face. No, a hundred percent. You know, we helped um, Maurice train for that. You know, that was part yeah. of our kind of thing. You know, he he came down to help to prepare for that, and we, you know, gave him some tools to, to survive on the ground. The one thing that that he didn't have, and he he never had in his career, is he just had no takedown defense, just just terrible takedown defense. <laughs> and so he was very hesitant to let go with his striking because, you know, as you know, you know, you start punching, kicking, and you leave yourself open for that, for that takedown. So that little bit of a hole in his game didn't allow him to use his, his excellent kickboxing. Um, and, but that's where, you know, I had a lot more experience, a lot more, you know, uh, skill and comfort in in the wrestling and you know i felt you know hey you know i'm not going to win this on the ground right i need to keep the standing and i need to just you know keep keep peppering this guy and win this win this fight on, on the feet and just do whatever i can to to keep this on the feet now now pete i gotta i gotta ask you i gotta you know obviously you sound like a very nice guy and you mentioned that headbutts are crass you know, kicking a yeah. man in the face with shoes could be considered crass too. You know, <laughs> well, they were they were wrestling shoes. You could call it. You could even say that they were padding, <laughs> padding. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call that a, a social faux pas. Mm -hmm. That's what we refer to. I, I wonder. Well, if, I know, wonder if Mark would call them padding. <laughs> yeah, well, we had Coleman on, and Coleman's a madman. Like he's legitimately a friend of all of ours. Yeah. And we can't get him back on the show. And when we had him on, we talked about this fight. And uh, he was talking about a lot of fence grabbing, one side calls with fence grabbing with Big John McCarthy. The question is do you think Big John McCarthy and the UFC brass did not like Mark Coleman at that time? Behind the scenes, never no, mind I, No, no, no clue whatsoever on, on that. But I will tell you this. At that time, just like shoe, wearing shoes was legal, fence grabbing was legal. Well, so there was that's that's where it gets funny because Big yeah. John would scream at Coleman that he was taking a point next time Coleman grabs the fence. Really? Meanwhile, he looks like he's like playing a slingshot with you as like the rubber band while you're grabbing the fence. I don't like remember him grabbing the fence at all in our, in our fight, though. Uh. Like when, because he was just kind of mounted on me, trying to do some ground and pound. I don't. I really don't remember any warning fence grabbing. You definitely didn't get any, Coleman. No. Do you, do you remember this? I mean, do you, do, is this visible in the Pete, fight? Or? Pete, no, no, Pete. I'm, I'm going to be all right. So Coleman's my friend. <laughs> Anybody hey, can these fights a lot, dude. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm a friggin' dork, bro. And like, I, I look at here is the issue. The, the, here's the big issue. I use today's glasses, and then I look at yesterday's fights. Like you can't do that, but I do. I mean, that's huh. I mean to make the argument against myself. I got well, problems, Pete. Pete, my wife right now. It's amazing. We're still together. If you look at you, the UFC Fight Pass and you look at kind of like hours watched outside of a bar 
I got to be top three. Like you subtract bars and restaurants, like they're they know who I am. Uh-huh. <laughs> so well, we 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 need to uh, you know solve this mystery because what I remember is fence grabbing was still legal because that's was kind of part of my my strategy was I was going to use whatever to uh, to 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 not be taken down. Um, they had just made headbutting illegal. So you could maybe say that they did that against, against Mark. Mark. I, I, yeah. That's part of my yeah. argument of why the UFC wanted <laughs> Coleman out of the organization. And uh, he wasn't a real friendly guy outside of the <laughs> Was he? No, oh, my God, dude. dude you, Kevin Randleman used to call Bob Myrowitz's secretary and threaten her life just, just for fun. Just like, hey, guys, watch this. Like, they were so scared of Hammer House. Like, they were – they couldn't understand. Like, Kevin would do it as a way of, I really care about you, so I'm going to threaten your life, like, in a, in a very angry manner, but it's because I love you. And they yeah. would be like, well, I'm from New York. I'm kind of upper crust, and I'm not used to dealing with this type of attitude. And I'm you know, that probably wasn't the best for their business, you know, to no. try and get thrown out of the UFC. Probably was not smart for them. No. Well, well Pete, like, are you are you getting the feeling? What are the vibes here? You know, Mark, Mark and Ken are a lot alike. They're they're unbelievable, you know, athletes, uh, the highest level at this sport uh, in their in their day. Total alpha guys, but they do come with a little baggage, and it does seem like the UFC, you know, didn't pick them kind of thing. Do you do you feel like you know they never? Like Ken was always adversarial with the UFC because I think that plays into it. Well, I don't know. I think with Ken, you know, Ken is definitely trying to push the limits of of negotiations and and uh, you know maybe you know that was kind of his thing where it was stepping over the line of of. Um, uh, of, of, of how much is going to get paid and, and maybe, you know, some other things. Um, with Mark, I, again, you know, I wasn't part of that, that group. So I really don't know his relationship with the organization. Um, so I, you know, that, that I couldn't really comment on. So, um, so Pete, at that time, you knew what you did was stratospheric. Like, you came in as a heavy underdog. You got a former world champion as your UFC debut on short notice. If there were odds at that time, I, they would be astronomically slanted against you. Of course. After yeah. that fight, like after a couple of days settling in, did you have a feeling that based on your performance that night, you'd be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame? No, I mean, because back then there was, you know, they were, they were just trying to shut us down, you know? We fought that fight in Birmingham, Alabama, you know? So, you know, seeing that far into the future wasn't, no, you know, uh, <laughs> wasn't part of wasn't part of my thought process. You know, I, I was just riding high on the fact that, you know, my team, you know, believed in me. We, we you know, we were, you know, pushing each other to, to you know, you know, be the best we could be and, you know, that culminated in a, in a successful win that fight. I knew if I, I knew I had the cardio, I knew I could, 
you know, implement this strategy, you know, wear mark out and, you know, use, use the striking that I had, which was going to be able to come into play when, when he was tired, when he yeah. was going to be much harder to take me down, you know? And, um, you know, it, it, it worked, it worked, it worked well. It worked better I mean, than I could imagine. You know, I mean, I, I was going into that, that final, you know, uh, overtime, basically understanding that it's either knockout or you lose, you know? So and it has to, to be, it has to be great to see like one of their, one of the all time great, you know, highlights, I guess, is, is that kick. You know what I mean? That's got to be oh, making you feel good years. every time you see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> ten years. Oh, yeah. oh, I was definitely, you know, riding high, riding high after that. But I will say this. We, you know, I know uh, Mark has his version of events and, 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 and everything, but for me, uh, and – you know, again, I'm going to always kind of give uh, – I'm never one to just, you know, be like, oh, no, this you – know, fuck this shit. If there was if, – uh, if, if fence grabbing was illegal, um, it was never mentioned because, you know, it's not my style to use illegal tactics. You know? The rules. It, yeah. For sure. For it, sure. And, and Chris, let me kind of – I think that if you listen to a Tony Galdo interview and understand everything that Tony was involved with with Ken, and Pete was kind of last pick on all of those shenanigans, it's, it just tells you a big difference of character between those two. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, Tony was definitely the showman, and he was going to, you know, nuts. he's always pushing the limits of, yes, and, and being nuts. That, that was never... I don't know. That was never my my. Uh, yeah, that was never your thing, right? Well, so, go ahead, go. I was just gonna say. I think you know, Petey, yourself, you know, Jerry, Burnett, that you know, Ken, and the Lions. Then at that point, that was as legit as it got. Really, after that, even with Galindo, you know, Galindo's obviously a, a real fighter and everything, but his career didn't get as far. You know, you guys had Vern. That first generation was your best generation. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, at that point, you know, you guys were carrying the flag and, and all that stuff. But, you know, how, how did that feel when you got back to the Lions then? Like, did, did, how, how much did you get paid for Coleman, too? Oh, fuck. Like, uh, 9,000, I think. Oh. <laughs> like, two to show and seven to win, seven, seven and a half to win. And, and you, you know, know they weren't counting on that. They're like, "Damn, we thought we were giving it to." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it was that, it was nothing, you know. That Pete, I mean, I I feel you have to feel just a, a complete sense of just not anger is the right word, but like, man, I mean, I helped build this organization, and uh, I got paid peanuts, you know. And I, I mean, grand if I called it. Yeah, I'm well, saying, you know, it, that's got to be frustrating. I mean, I felt the same thing. We're looking at the people now, but I mean, you had to feel. I mean, but I, I look at people like you guys. I was like, well, man, I got, you know, they got peanuts compared to me. It's all relative, I guess. But uh, that just has to be not infuriating is the right word. But it's like, man, I, I helped build this, and uh, I didn't really get paid much for it. It's kind of got to be frustrating. 
Well, you know, and back then it was just kind of, it was what it was. Again, it's kind of the, the future of the sport was not for sure by, by any means. And, you know, those, those were kind of the paydays there. What's, what's kind of sucks is to see that the paydays really haven't advanced all that much to the modern day, even though the sport is on ESPN, it's got, you know, it was sold for $4 billion. You know, <laughs> these, these guys should be making, you know, money like these, you know, uh, other pro athletes of, of their, of their stature. Hey, Pete, Pete and, and not to get sidetracked, you've got like the mid-level mid-card UFC guys that get career ending injuries in camp and they can't afford insurance. So they have to go take a loss in the UFC in order to get the surgery to, so that they, they can live a normal life. Yeah. And like you even saw with like TJ Dillashaw recently, like he's, I couldn't afford to take another year off. I had to go in what? here and get my shoulder separated again. And you know, last or less than a round. So, but that's exactly. not a time. That's not it, a time. It, it is, you know, and you know, that's kind of what we did, uh, had to do, you know, there was no insurance. It was, you know, you had uh, Minard. You know, James Cross isn't fixing fights. The guy had to, yeah. maybe Minard had something to do with it, but Cross didn't. Minard had nothing to do with that. I guarantee it, man. But then that's it. So he had to go get knee surgery. That's it. That's why. Well, plus, I, I mean, if, if you're one and three in the UFC and they say, hey, you got to fight, you tell them, no, you'll never fight again. You have to take yeah. fight. I mean, it's just a bad situation. It's, just, I mean, it's a bad situation for everybody. You're right. So. Right at this time of the Lions Down, it, it, it's very interesting. Ken's in WWE. Frank is going, screw this, I'm out of here. He leaves with Maury Smith, Crazy Bob Cook, Eric Del Fiero, and your next opponent, TK. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the type of – John Freddy was matchmaking at this time. Am I correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you got John Freddy going. Lions then split up. Let's throw TK against, you know, Pete Williams, create some drama. How was that received? Was this requested or was this a Freddy type setup? You know, I don't know how that was set up or, or who, who set that up. Um, you know, yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, you know, I trained with TK again in, in Lodi before that and. And um, I, I was not part of this this you know matchmaking um, um, situation, so it was just enough for me. It was another fight. Um, oh. Okay, but, real quick. Like so, at this point, Ken is out doing WWF stuff. Is he not guiding, directing anymore? Is he totally out of fight business? You guys, are you guys just running your own career? How's that going? No, um, we, we were, you know, training ourselves. You know, we all kind of went our different ways. I went to Dallas. Mikey went to Oklahoma. Um, Jerry was training in California. Okay. Um, but, I, but Ken was still, I think, doing kind of the managing type, you know, um, setting up the fights. Okay. Stuff like that with, with him and Bob, I think. Let's talk about the split. Like, with... Maurice Smith and company leaving with 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 Frank and you guys staying, did they try to talk to anybody else over there? Like, were you ever approached about leaving 
to form the alliance with Frank Shamrock? No, no, Frank just went on his own. Okay, I, I hope you really know the answer to this question. There, there seems to be have almost have been almost a tug of war over Jerry Bolander with Ken and Frank. Like, for instance, Frank would always insist that the announcers would say, managed by Ken Shamrock, but trained by Frank Shamrock. Did, did you kind of notice just a little, a little tug of war between Ken and, and, and Frank over Jerry? Um, I, I don't think so. Cause again, like when, when Frank left, he, he just kind of bailed on all of us, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, it was, it, he, he split with Ken and he didn't try and take anyone from the team. Um, you know, they, they always had their, uh, kind of conflict, which kind of came to a head after, um, that rings event, um, where, I won that fight, but it was like a poor performance, you know, um, and and Ken didn't like that. And so he kind of flipped out, you know, at Frank because, you know, the, the fighters weren't prepared and, you know, he kind of looked like shit. I, I fought like shit. And he, you know, he threw this computer monitor and, and, and you know, just really kind of went off on Frank. And I think that was kind of like the final breaking point where Ken or Frank was just like, yeah, fuck this shit. You know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do my own thing. You know, I don't have to. I don't have to put up with this shit. But uh, now, Pete, when you fought Kosaka, that was in Brazil, and, mm -hmm. and you know, at this point, the, the split's taking effect, and Frank's the main event. Frank is there with Maurice. They're the big deal. Did you guys? Did you feel like a little left out in the cold? Um, no, not, not so much. I felt it was kind of a, a thing with, with, uh, between Ken and Frank. Um, so it wasn't really, um, my, my thing, but it was, it was a little bit strange. It was a little bit of a shakeup just because Frank left, Ken left the WWF. And so I just kind of had to find, find my place and, and I was able to do that in, in Dallas, you know, with the guys there, which was, you know, it was, um, I was, I was happy there. It was, a, it was a good, uh, good move. Now, now when you would show up there, if you would see Frank, what was it awkward or was it, were you guys still like friendly or everything pretty cool? Like, Hey man, how you doing? I was like, was it because the split, was it weird or not really? Uh, maybe a little weird. I mean, Frank was always kind of a, you know, just on his own, on his own thing. So, okay. It's not like we were ever really tight friends or anything. So, okay. you know, it was, it was cordial, but, you know, it was just kind of like, hey, what's up, you know, um, kind of thing. Hey, hey Pete, yeah, who, who cornered you in Brazil? Because I don't remember a guy there. Olander, was it? Um, was it Trey? I, I don't remember. Um, Trey Tellingman was in your corner. Was it Trey? Yeah. It might have been Trey because I trained in, um, in Dallas. Dallas yeah, and I know. I, know I think it was Mikey there. Burnett too. I'm going for it. Might have been, maybe it was Mikey maybe Burnett. Alex. That's a Trey. Mikey, yeah, could have been Alex too. Yeah, Mikey. Mikey had a fight that day too. Obviously, so. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, Mikey's a savage too. We, I love to get him on here. Um. So 
your former training partner is now your opponent. How, how did practices go between you two when you guys were in the gym together? Um, this is good. You know, he's, he's really cool guy, you know, um, definitely a, a grappling base, uh, of, you know, his skill set. So, you know, I, I would get the better of him on the, on the feed. I was already kind of developing, you know, some, some, uh, up skills and he had some really good, uh, judo and, and we were pretty, pretty close on the ground. You know, I, I, I could still, you know, we, um, you know, I had came from wrestling, so you know it was it was it was a close match. But this was like a, a another one of those situations where they I, they approached us. They approached you know approached me with this you know hey if it goes to the ground let's let's not strike on the ground you know which if you see in that fight you know there's no striking on the ground until the end when. You know, it's a it's a close fight. You know, and TK was was on top of me. He was in, in my, my guard, and he kind of looks at me and he kind of gives me this look, like you know, almost like sorry, man, and just you know starts starts throwing some punches. And I'm like, this motherfucker, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was it was just another one of those you know kind of foolish um, uh, things that that. Uh, yeah, that really was, you know, there was no no reason. Okay, yeah, we're we're friends or what what have you, but why, you know, this is a fight, you know, this is business, and that's yeah. how it should have been. Now, Pete, let me like before that training camp, you were talking about Mikey. There's been a strong rumor for years that that I don't know, maybe it was the Townsend Saunders fight, or this one was after that where he fought Miltage, that Ken knocked him out in training. Like, were you were you witness to that? Because supposedly on the week of, uh, on, you know, the week before they left for the trip, Mike, Mikey got knocked out. Is that something you can confirm? Um, for this fight in Brazil? It, it was either this one or the Townsend Saunders one, but... The, the rumor persisted that, that Burnett had been knocked out cold by Ken and that Ken sent them out to fight anyway. Is that Did, did you see that? Is that right? You know, I wasn't there. They were training at a different camp, I think, in San Diego. But, um, you know, that is totally, totally plausible. I mean, that's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not out of, uh, out of the realm of reason. I wasn't probably wasn't there, so um, you know I just you know I can't say for sure, but you know that I don't know who who would uh, who would know that you know Jerry might know that. Um, We'd really like to get Jerry on here. In fact, I've done all of the research. All he's got to do is show up. But yeah, well, I mean, maybe he 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 wanted to do an interview, but. Um, you know, a lot of us are kind of like, you know, out of the limelight, just kind of doing our things. And, and uh, you know, so I don't know how, how he feels about that. No, he's, he's, still, he's still got a job that, at, at the very least, he's in the public eye. So maybe he wants Police to Police officer, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you don't need somebody yeah. going, hey, yeah, you're the big UFC fighter. I saw your interview either, right? So he, 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 I bet you he comes out when he's retired. I bet you he comes out. Yeah. It's it's known that he's a you know UFC you know uh, veteran, but um, 
Yeah, I just you know, Jerry's a pretty private guy. You know, he's yeah. he's not trying to, you know, get himself out there. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I heard at one point. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, Pete. I had heard at one point you were like uh, some kind of a chef or something. Is that is that true? And why? After fighting, I went to culinary school and, and got into culinary for a few years. Really? Uh, moved, to, moved to Hawaii. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. Now, one thing, you know, I'll talk to young fighters, and I always start telling them now, you need to have an exit strategy. You know, don't wait till you're 38 and, you're, and they force you to retire. You go, what am I going to do now? You need to start planning yeah. that while you're fighting. Is that something you, you think is a good idea for people to like, hey, man, you better figure out if you're going to be a coach, a trainer a commentator or something. You better figure this out yeah. now. Don't wait till your career. Don't, don't keep fighting and getting knocked out in your last five fights. Figure it out now. Yeah. You know, I think that can help kind of ease the, the transition, you know, cause it's, it's tough, you know, to finally, you know, sit there and call it quits and, and, you know, you can, it's a lot of, you know, uh, it's a difficult time. So if you have something there, to kind of keep you occupied and get you, you know, right into something else, uh, you know, that's, I think, going to really, you know, help, to help that transition. But was that, was that, was that tough for you? Cause I mean, man, that's like the toughest thing for most people. I got lucky and jumped in a couple things right away, but it's still tough. Uh, yeah, it was tough, you know, cause me and I look back on it now and it was probably a good thing, but I was kind of, you know, forced to retire really just due, due to injuries, you know, your body. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and really I probably shouldn't have even fought, you know, my last contract with the UFC. Um, I was not, not healthy and not in the right headspace, you know, and, and it showed, you know, my, I think my performances were, were pretty poor. Um, and, and yeah, I didn't really, really have a plan and, and it was, you know, it was tough. Because it, it was added tough because I, you know, the injuries I had, which was basically uh, osteoarthritis of the shoulders, really um, didn't didn't allow me to to even really train after. They were really bad, and the 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 muscles were all in this protective state. So I basically had frozen shoulder syndrome. You know, by the time I was thirty years old, and I Jeez. haven't. You know, I haven't wrestled since I retired, and I love to wrestle. You know, and I physically physically cannot wrestle. That's that's what was going to be another question. Do you ever do any jujitsu or rolling or anything like you, you say now? You can't do anything like that because of your shoulders. Yeah, I, I would wow. do some kickboxing um, because I can I could I can still punch and and that kind of range of motion was still okay, but wrestling no cannot. Wow. Yeah, so that that was a really tough psychologically, really, to just be, you know, to go from, you know, this this height of, you know, ability and, and, you know, just something that you you did every day to you can't do this anymore. Wow. Wow. That's that's brutal, man. Yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, I I deal, you know, obviously have learned to, to deal with it. And I'm old enough now where I'm – I would still love to, to wrestle. I mean, I would love to not have these injuries because it, it, it does suck. It is, it's limiting. But, you know, now I have other, other, other pursuits, sure. other, other things to, to fill that uh, gap, you know. 
Chris, he harvests his marijuana now. Smart guy. Yeah. Well, you know, I help. I'm, I'm, I, I started uh, as, as just kind of working in there as like a, a lead in, in the flower department. And I've kind of worked my way up to um, How do operations. I get a job like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, but in California, for one. I was going to ask you, you're talking about Lodi, California, where you're talking about Lodi. That's, that's the heart of Humboldt County. No, Lodi is is Humboldt's way farther north. Lodi is the heart of you know BFE. You know, <laughs> it's it's the Zinfandel capital of the world. But okay. um, right now I'm I'm in um, Hollister, um, so you know near Santa Cruz. Um, but you know this Central Coast area, um, there's a lot of a lot of cannabis here, all over all over the state. Honestly, there's yeah. There's a lot, a lot of cannabis. In so, so, Chris, March 5th, 1999 is UFC 19. Did you corner Jason Gatsy when he fought Pete? I did not. Um, you weren't there? I think I was there, but I, did, I wasn't one of his cornermen, no. Okay. So my next question, Chris, is at weigh-ins, when you see all the Lions Den guys in camouflage and berets, what was your opinion of what was going on? I'll be honest with you. I didn't get there till the day of the fight, so I didn't see that. But uh, I missed it. Uh, that would have been a good one to see. I'd probably been. Uh, I don't think I'd have been scared. I'd have been. Uh, I'd been laughing. It looked like a dance troupe. It looked like a dance troupe. <laughs> Pete, what was going yeah. on with that? You know, just one of Ken's. You know, psychological warfare. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we we always kind of had like kind of a team thing. Before that, there was like some some jumpsuits, like some bed and yellow. There uh, we go. Warm ups. Um, one day there's going to be TikTok, so we're going to wear berets and camouflage today. <laughs> Just early. Just early at the party. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Pete, please take us to the Jason Godsey fight. It's UFC 19, March 5th, 1999. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, what, like kind of, I, I took a small hiatus from the UFC, came back, and um, yeah, I was, you know, a little bit nervous for that fight. Just, I, was, I was back there. I felt, you know, I, I feel like, I like to fight when I'm the underdog more so because there's there's kind of almost less less pressure than you know you better win this fight kind of thing which was really always the case but <laughs> yeah but there was you know certain ones where it was more so like you know you're expected to beat beat this guy and um, yeah but you know again you, you train for this so you just kind of get into your mode and um, you know, I forget. Uh, I forget exactly how that fight started out. We we kind of um, you know Gatsy rushed. Gatsy rushed at you. Did he rush? Yeah, and then you he, he kind of wound it into a takedown and yeah. So I, I just remember getting a takedown, kind of getting on top, you know, in like this kind of weird half guard position, standing half guard. And you know, I hear hear Ken just going, "Do it, do it, 
you know, so I, I just swung in for, for the knee bar and locked that up. So, Chris, Godsey's got wins at this point over Steve Chenum and Jeremy Moore. What was your game plan and thoughts with him heading into fighting Pete? Uh, well, you know, we knew from watching, especially the Coleman, he's just he's going to be well-rounded tough. So, didn't really want Jason staying on the outside. We're about those kicks. So, that's kind of where the bum rush kind of – I remember Jason came forward with some punches. But, uh, you know, Jason had a little bit of a disadvantage, I feel like, as far as, like, he was the biggest guy in our area, going with a lot of lighter guys. So I just don't think he had the – you know, he's a full-time teacher. I don't think he had this, the submission skill exactly to kind of go with a high-caliber high guy that was trained at the Lions Den every day. So he probably – I thought I remember, like, when that knee bar came, like he tried to get his own knee bar, but he just beat him to it. I can't, I can't remember how it went, but I just, it was over pretty fast, was about it? a minute and a half or something. Like that. I think – yeah, I think uh, he, he was kind of – Going for uh, going for my leg. I, I forget what was going, but he was so out of position. I kind of knew at that point. I was like, okay, well, you know, this he, he doesn't fully know what what he's you know where he's at right now. So I just kind of pit bulled on the leg and and locked it up. Yeah. Um, for those of you at home that follow, we go one second. I'll let you in real quick. Bruce Buffer's introduction to this. Oh my God! Is it? You gotta watch it. It's really horrible. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> From the top. <laughs> you, no, no, no. It's like one word at a time. Like he's on a teleprompter, and the prompter's oh. got pause, and he just can't figure out what to say. It's fantastic. Miguel, go ahead. <laughs> Pete, I, I just want to take a step back because you talked a little bit about rings and how you had a little bit of a poor performance, and uh, you know, Ken kind of let you have it. Now, yeah. that Brazil show where Mikey lost, you know, a tough decision, and then you and Kosaka, you know, fought a lackluster fight, that must have not been fun getting back to Ken. Or, you know, was Guy the same? How, how, how was that return? Because I figure coming off of that, that, that you were really motivated for the Godsey fight too. Yeah, you know, more so. Uh, Ken, I mean, uh, guys, no, they're they're not alike in that sense at all. Um, and yeah, that fight was just kind of wasn't as as uh, as good as it could have been. You know, I always, you know, for me as a fighter, I was again kind of like in this thing just so randomly, and and I always did better when I you know, had a good training camp, someone leading the training camp and, you know, getting, getting me prepared for a fight. If ever I was just kind of like, you know, training myself, which I don't think any fighter really should, should do, you know, my, you know, sharpness, you know, waned quite a bit, you know? And I, I felt that that was kind of one of those, you know, there was, a few fights where the, that was, you know, that was the case. And I wasn't, you know, at my best, you know, that you Castile one, um, the TK one, I, I felt I was in pretty good shape. I wasn't as uh, in shape, you know, I was carrying a little more uh, body fat than that, um, but still felt decently con uh, conditioned, but just, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't uh, where, I, where I probably should have been. 
Did uh, you ever roll with Mark Kerr? No. No. You with Galindo. Um, so after my fight with Mark Coleman, I know that Mark came to the Lions Den San Diego, but it was before I was there. So maybe that was when they were there and maybe Mark was part of, part of that uh, visit. Um, Pete, I'm just going to be very direct with you in regards to this. This is a complete and total setup of a question. Tony Galindo told me to ask that. And then he said, <laughs> Marker would stick ecstasy up his butt to get the best role. Pete will know all about it. He'll tell you about it. But obviously, you don't know that. So, uh, yeah. I'll wait, <laughs> I'll wait no, for no our next Galindo interview before we talk about <laughs> it. So, <laughs> By role, are we talking wrestling or are we talking uh, ecstasy? <laughs> did you ever fight on drugs? Did you ever fight on drugs? I I did not actually. Um, no, I did one one time, um, but not any fun drugs. Um, it was actually uh, uh, fuck my. Uh, um, why am I? Why am I blanking on uh, Rico Rodriguez? That fight, I was not, um, you know, I was kind of, you know, doing a lot of a lot of drugs outside the ring, and but I would always pretty much wean off for a fight. And um, this fight, I don't know, man. I just one of the dumb decisions I made. Um, couldn't sleep the night before. I was just up, 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 and so I took like you know like a half a half a Xanax bar and. Wow, that that had me like just the whole next day. I felt like tranquilized, you know, and I couldn't shake it off. And yeah, I was just you know going into that fight. I was felt like I was in slow fucking motion, you know. So that was the one time you could say I fought on drugs, and it was it, it was um, <laughs> it was not a great story. It was not a cool story. And so. In the meantime, Tony Glindo just texted me. He's watching. He's correcting me. So that was Vernon White. You know, Pete had nothing to do with it. Ask Vernon about Mark Kerr sticking ecstasy up his butt. So that's those are his words, not mine. All right. Here we go. Before we get to your next fight, do you think that Frank Shamrock may have targeted Mark Coleman? He trained Maury Smith, trained Don Fry for the rematch, trained yourself, and uh, – the rumor was he would call all of Mark's opponents, giving them advice. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about the, I mean, the, you know, the rumors are, are kind of rumors, but you know, the sport was not as big as it was now, you know? So if you wanted to go and, and learn a particular skill, you know, there was a few guys that, that, you know, you were going to go with and, and Frank at the time was, you know, at the top of the game, um, he helped train Maurice to, to um, you know, beat uh, Mark because, you know, Maurice was, was uh, you know, friends with us. So that's what we did. Sure. So maybe someone saw that he trained this guy to beat Mark. Why can't he train me to beat Mark, you know? So, you know, a lot of, a lot of it is, is, I think, just more um, – not common sense, but just more natural progression of things rather than, you know, any kind of, okay. you, know, you know, plot to, 
to, you know, get Mark or get anybody in particular. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So you beat Godsey by knee bar. Uh, Travis Fulton's got 70 fights. You beat him with an bar. So you got two UFCs in a row. And uh-huh. you got to watch this transition. You go from one monster to another when you fight Kevin Randleman after that at yeah. UFC 23. <laughs> Like that one, you gotta come on. <laughs> wait, wait, here, here. Let's let's be a little salacious. Um, did you ever suspect Travis Fulton of sexually abusing minors and trading child pornography when you fought him on May seventh, nineteen ninety nine? Well, uh, wasn't oh, yeah. wasn't in my. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who could suspect it? Yeah, that's crazy. I honestly, I, I I do remember hearing about this, and it's uh, crazy to me. Think of now. We did a whole episode on it with Monty Cox and Jeremy Horn. And you know what the crazy thing is? Like about 10 years prior to that, a 13-year-old came forward accusing him of it. It was on the news but got buried. She had no credibility. And Travis went on to do what (laughs) Travis did. So neither here nor there. Kevin Randleman, you obviously lose a decision and you get cut. What's that phone call like? Um, I don't, I didn't really didn't get the phone call. I think it was probably more, you know, uh, Ken was handling all those type of negotiations. I just knew, uh, you know, I was cut, which kind of seems, you know, strange, you know, you, you lose a, a title fight against, you know, random in, you know, I don't know why that, uh, you know, warrants a cut, but you know, that was, that was the case. And I think after that, I had like a, almost like a year layoff. Um, where I didn't fight. Yes, your next fight is against. Now check this out. So he loses against Randleman. Pivotal time gets cut after a title fight. I, I agree, Pete, with what you're saying. So his next opponent is in a two-time Olympic alternate champion in wrestling. Uh, he's from Coeur d'Alene, uh, Valley Tudo, and he's a three-time Sambo national champion. It's uh, Roger Neff. Mm-hmm. Dude, yeah. So, so, so at this point, Tiger White has the second fastest knockout in King of the Cage history at nine seconds. Tony Galindo has it at seven seconds. Beats Tiger White for for that right. What right. happened with you and Neff? Well, it was it was uh, a strange fight because. You know, we're up there. I forget what Indian Casino was in in uh, Midwest somewhere. I, I can't remember which state. But um, I'm sitting backstage, and the fights are going, and and they're like, "Oh, you know, it's fine. You still got a while to go, a while to go." So you know, I'm just waiting, waiting to start my warm up. So I think at one point I started getting my hands wrapped up. And I'm just about finishing my hand, you know, wrapping my hands and getting my gloves on. And they're like, you're up. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Who, me? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're up. Let's go. Let's go out here, you know, to the, to the you know, get on deck. And I'm like, mother, what? I, motherfucker, I didn't even, like, jump rope. I haven't, you know, <laughs> done anything. And so they just kind of rushed me out there. So I'm just hopping around. I'm kind of just trying to 
warm up, I was just bone dry, you know, didn't, didn't able to get a sweat or anything. And I'm thinking, well, fuck, I'm just going to have to warm up in, in the fight, you know? So I'm just kind of going over, okay, this guy, you know, he's going to bum rush me. He's probably going to take me down and I'm just going to have to, you know, kind of feel him out on the ground and see, see how I can get back up. You know, I'm just kind of going, trying to, you know, go over what, what my strategy is here. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, I get in the fight and I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't know. Uh, sometimes again, these, these, these moments kind of like, I think feel, bring out the, the best in me, you know, you just uh, kind of like in this down position, this weird position. And, and so, you know, bell rings, I come out and, you know, I kind of throw a faint, a little faint right. And I, I see his reaction, you know, which was kind of to duck away from the punch. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I, you know, <laughs> look at that. You know, that that's no good for for, for you. You know, so, so I, you know, the next one was the, the the same punch, right hand, but this one was real. And it was, um, it was just a great punch. You know, I, it was one of those punches that you don't even really feel, you know, I didn't feel like I hit him that hard because it was just right at the end of my range. And, you know, that's all it took was just, you know, six seconds. Right, right hand, and um, you know, I just see him falling down. I, I was coming to follow up, but you know, I saw that he was he was done. He was so out. I didn't throw any follow up shots. Yeah, so he he gets the fastest king of the cage knockout, you know, in in, in, in that company's history. And dude, they've got a lot of events like that. Whole that is pretty didn't impressive. Someone, didn't didn't someone beat it? How? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've seen some, you know, you got like, I mean, in, in some other organizations, uh, but I guess, I guess no one, no one's beat it in uh, King of the Cage. We're here. I mean, maybe somebody's corner man while getting a guy ready to get into the cage, but slapped them too hard and knocked the guy out. But that's the only way I see that thing getting beat, bro. Well, you know, yeah. now in, in, in bare knuckle, we have the three second knockout. However, you start three feet away. So, Bam! You don't even have to step across it. You know what I mean? So it's a little easier. Right. Hey, let's so, give a. By the way, have you ever watched? Have you ever watched the the, uh, the BKFC the bare knuckle fighting? Uh, I do the commentary for it now. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Man, it's a lot of fun. It yeah, I have seen um, a couple of those, but I I haven't uh, you know haven't seen a lot of them. Although you know, I know that there's some great fights that go on in there. You know, I I do watch some of the highlights. A lot of fun, man. By the way, on a different note, real quick, did, when you when you retired from fighting, I mean, did you watch? Did you follow the UFC right away, or did was it? Did you not do that for a while? And, and do you still follow it now, or not really? Yeah, I um, I think I, I did take a, a bit of a time off uh, from watching it. You know, I just kind of needed to <clears throat> step away, and it was still, you know, it was. It was it was a Thanks, tough man. departure, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, I was, it, it, you know, yeah, just psychologically, I was not, I don't know, I, I just, I just needed to, to walk away because I couldn't train either. And it was just like this very, you know, hard, it's a hard, cut. hard, yeah, just a really shitty time. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of people when they retire, it feels like, 
I'd say probably 90% of the people I know have like kind of a bad taste. It leaves a bad taste in their mouth for a while. And it takes a lot of people a long time before they want to come back and pay attention to it anymore. They just want to block it out in some ways. I I feel like most fighters I know are like that. Uh, not all. Yeah. And probably for, you know, some various reasons, um, you know, mine was just, you know, I don't know. I, I just, uh, you were done competing, but you had to be. That that why it'd be too, so tough, man. I mean, you're, you're just physically, your body, your shoulders couldn't do it. So that'd be very tough. No, you still, you have the mentality of a fighter. You're only 30. Hell, that, that'd be that'd be brutal, man. I'm sorry yeah. for you. Well, yeah, I was, you know, what, like 27, 26. 26. Yeah, so it was, uh, and, you know, already my shoulders were like, you know, you know, like, those of a 90 year old man, you know, so I, yeah, I was, it was, it was, uh, it was tough, but it was kind of like a, like I said, a long time coming really that, that whole last contract with the UFC, I was dealing with shoulder injuries, the, you know, the effects of these cumulative injuries really. And well, I never gym, really, never really got my head was nuts. Yeah. That didn't help. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, even back in the early days, we would do this stuff called dinosaur training. You know, we we went out and, and uh, at one point trained with Kim Woods. He was the strength and conditioning guy for the um, Cincinnati Bengals. And he had written a book and there was this whole philosophy of like this, this dinosaur training, how like the old strongmen would train, you know, with heavy sandbags and awkward weights and <laughs> lifting rocks and shit. And... <laughs> You know, so so we would do that and we would just really do like almost like the world's strongest man kind of event, you know. <laughs> We'd go up to the lake and you know, lift rocks and, and logs and shit and just do do crazy shit. But you know, I injured myself a couple times, um, my shoulders specifically, you know, doing doing some of this stuff. And just in wrestling, you know, looking back, I had my first injuries in high school, you know. Um a ball too hard or wrestling, you know, getting getting dogpiled, you know, playing, uh, you know, the wrestling version of, of football and just dislocating my shoulder, you know, and, and you know, I, I had I had hyper flexible shoulders, right? So hyper flexibility and, you know, really heavy lifting and certain, you know, they just don't go well. So it's funny looking back, like, like the stupid things we used to do training. It was like the blind lean, the dead. We just had no idea what we were doing. We were trying to do it ourselves. And it just uh, looking back, I'm like, how stupid was I just thinking this too doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I can see doing a lot of stuff like that too. Like Rocky four style. Oh, this would be good for you. You know, I remember yeah, you hitting, hitting your leg with the bamboo thing. Like, you got to toughen up your leg. I'm like, I don't think that works. You just hurt exactly. yourself. So yeah, you just, know, it is what it is. Watching too many movies, and then you're in the, all this <laughs> testosterone, just trying to one up everybody, you know. And yep. it's just, you just yep. do some dumb shit. Yep. Well, Pete, did wait, did you have Marianovich's father, the quarterback? Did you have his father helping you rehab at one point? Well, so I was introduced to kind of their system, you know. Okay. And this was after fighting. I had all these injuries. And, you know, I had tried physical therapy and I'd given up at some point and, and then kind of 
try it again. And once I found uh, this system, I, I got a hold of this his his book, uh, Probod X. Uh, this was Marv Marinovich, mm-hmm. and um, started using this system. And this was like the one thing that really was effective. And and not only was it effective, but it was kind of like, um, you know, the, the gains would stay, you know, cause I would work out a little bit, um, make some gains. But at the time I was working as a, as a teamster for the movie industry in, in Hawaii. So we would, we would go on a movie shoot and, you know, you work just insane hours, like 18 hours a day for three, four or five months straight, however long the project is. And during that time, obviously, you just don't have any time to barely even sleep, much less, you know, work out. And, you know, all those gains would be would be lost. Well, I went and started doing this, you know, Marinovich training. Um, I went on one of these movie shoes. I came back out and, and started training again. And I really kept like 90% of the, the progress that I had made. So I really just devoted my energy to, to mastering this this system and I did to a to a certain point and you know eventually I was like okay I, I need to you know and this was you know after 10 years of just feeling like a cripple like an old man and, and just broken to to kind of see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel of like oh my god I'm, I'm getting some function back you know um, there were times you know like putting on a belt was very very difficult or washing your hair you know this is like the degree of the limited range of motion i had and and the amount of you know this these were just like painful things to do basic things and so you know to kind of come across something that was really really being effective you know i just kind of threw my you know full effort behind this and came back out this is one of the main reasons that you know, brought me back out to California was to, um, you know, train with, with Marv and Gary. They happened to be in Santa Cruz at the time, which is pretty, pretty close, you know, about an hour from Livermore where I grew up. And um, so I started um, training with them, you know, um, really kind of, you know, getting a lot of the details that you really, they 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 developed later after the book and just some of the stuff that you you know it's kind of hard to that wasn't yeah you know, just wasn't in the book but you know I ended up expanding the system a little bit I, I developed a couple of moves um, that worked for me you know because as I was going through it I'm like oh, you know I'm feeling you know uh, this uh, is a difficult area for me and and um, you know, so just experimented, came up with some stuff that they really liked, and yeah, it was um, it was a good uh, couple years training with them. Okay. Um, but un- unfortunately, you know, they uh, Marv had uh, started getting dementia, and he moved back to to live with his son. And you know, Gary, we continued to train for a while, but you know, he kind of drifted off as well. So you know. I wanted to kind of promote their system and get it out to the world because it was, for me, it was like, man, everybody needs to know about this. And to, still to this day, I mean, 
well, their system is the future of athletic training. People oh, wow. are already starting to, to move towards it, but their his concept of training and, and a lot of the stuff he developed is is how you develop athleticism. Wow. No. Yeah. I mean, if I, I could only imagine the different career I would have had if, if I would have understood how to train. You know, if I was doing this rather than, you know, lifting fucking rocks and, and you know, trying to bench 400 pounds, you yep. know, uh, it would have been a whole whole of the game, whole of the volume. Yep, I do. Yep. Hey, we're transmitting this uh, podcast live. It's our first time, and we got a bunch of hardcore people. Mike Crane, obviously, leading the crew in the, in the comments. Uh, PD, everybody says hello. Um they want to remind you that that King in the Cage was in Michigan. I believe yeah. it's the Soaring Eagle Casino, which is surrounded by, like, pine forest, I think. There's nothing around there. Oh, yeah. oh, it, was in, it was in the middle of nowhere, absolutely, in the fucking middle of nowhere. So that, that's where Coleman said that they started their issues with the UFC because the casino wasn't big enough for them, and there was no place to go outside of it. So, you know, everybody was pretty much – you know, privy to whatever the debauchery that entailed with them. All right, so your post-fight interviews with Rafael Torrey, I know he also went to your gym and did interviews. Currently on our channel, we've got the Rafael Torrey, Gerald Strumpet murder tapes. We've got three episodes up. I think we've got another one going up either this week or next week. Did you ever, like, interact with Rafael at all? That name sounds so familiar, but I am so you know, hazy on a, on a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a few of the years there. Um, okay. Where well, once again, Mike, the marijuana, remember? <laughs> Either way, it was marijuana. He is smoking on weed. <laughs> yeah. So Raphael Torrey essentially murders his girlfriend's husband and tangles Joe Rogan, Chris Brennan, and Gerald Strebent into the, the mix. And um, it was pretty salacious, but if you don't remember, you don't remember. Um, yeah. you, you, okay, so your next well, opponent, yeah. we're wrapping up. I, I know we've, we've taken up a lot of your time. Your next <laughs> opponent, Rick Mathis, his first opponent is Trey Telekman. He loses. He then yeah. goes on a 10-fight winning streak, and you end up fighting him at the, the famous King of the Cage event, Wet and Wild, but it was right before the rain came down. Well, it was in between, actually. It was, it was raining earlier. Yeah, it was raining earlier in the fights, and people were slipping all over the fucking place. Um, you know, and, you know, there, there was, like, this uh, uh, sun net kind of thing over, over the arena, which was kind of, like, holding some of the water, and it was still it was dripping trip. down. Yeah. But in between fights, they had, they had, you know, wiped up the ring, wrapped up the mat, so... For my fight, it was a lot drier than some of the earlier fights. And I think it might have rained even started raining again after my fight. But I wasn't in there for for the wettest of, of the, the matches. <laughs> it was still pretty slippery, though. It was not – it was very weird. But there, some of the earlier matches, these guys were like on a fucking slip inside. The rain was coming down sideways at points. Yeah. <laughs> it was cold as fuck, too. <laughs> What was your relationship like with Terry Treblecock or Chris Cordero? Um, 
Terry, he was always cool to me. You know, we weren't really, um, you know, hanging out as much as like really at all. I mean, um, I know that some of the other guys were around him um, with with Ken and and you know Vern and and um, Tony because they were they were down there and, and doing a lot more fights than than I was. Um, I was there for almost two years and had a couple fights in the organization, but you know what wasn't there as much as the guys with all the other fighters that they took there. So you you beat Rick Mathis, corner stoppage, you had that wet and wild event. You get back to the UFC. What is it like showing up to the venue, May 4, 2001, UFC 31, and seeing Semi Schilt as your opponent? Current king of pain at that time. You know, I was, uh, you know, you're a little thrown off just, you know, standing next to a guy, you know, that tall. You're like, fuck, you know, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get some, get some attacks on this guy? And, you know, but I've, I've fought big guys. I've fought random guys before. And, and, um, you know, I was, it was, you know, I was going in there with somewhat of a game plan, but, you know, again, at this point, I was already a little bit psychologically not fully there, you know, my training camp leading up to this, my, my left shoulder just kept uh, fatiguing out on me, you know, like getting so, um, I, I can't explain it. Just like that, that fatigue where like, you can't even, can't even lift it. The muscles just so, um, uh, burnt out that it's, it's, um, it's useless. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, strength. How about his strength? Um, well, he he was a pretty strong guy. He has massive hands. So, you know, he, he at one point in the first round, you know, I was mounted on him. He grabbed my wrist. And I was too busy trying to fight out of his grip rather than kind of coming around with, <clears throat> with some pressure or elbows. And... You know, I mean, his hands, again, is massive. It's like, you know, I'm sure hip, holding my wrist was like holding a baby's wrist, you know. Um, <laughs> and so he kind of, he got himself out of that first first round, you know, um, just uh, really on that alone. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's just monster. He's just a, a specimen. It's like he was made in a lab, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he is he is freakishly uh, big, and I I can tell you um, his feet are also freakishly big, and his legs are long. And you you might think, oh, you know, I'm out of range, but you're not out of range. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Chris, did, were you at Gatsby's fight when he fought Schultz? No, no, but I was there several times in Japan when he fought. And I just remember. He did such a great job. He could just grab a guy and he'd just pull pull her head right in the knee because his knee was right there and bam. I mean, he would had very good knees for Pancras and he'd need a lot of people in the head and knock a lot of people out with those knees. See, and that's kind of what I was more concerned about. Um, You know, I was kind of keeping my um, 
eyes on his knees and, and, and I had my guard really high and that's where, you know, he, he snuck in those, those front kicks to the liver. You know, I had no, no defense down there. Yeah. You know, when they, in, in Japan, when they were putting Genki Sudo up against like Butterbean, I was always hoping for like a 125 or going up against Semi, just just to watch that car crash. You see, when Minowa Minowa fought him, he does this little somersault to get in on the on the single leg. It's pretty impressive. Like he's back there and he does a front somersault and goes right into a single leg. I thought that was pretty impressive when he does the Semi Schultz. So yeah, yeah, Minowa's a crazy person. You know that. Yeah, no, for sure. So you fight Rico Rodriguez and your current Frank Mir. You're 26 years old. And you know you retired from injuries, but yeah, Miguel, go ahead, buddy. I apologize. No, no sweat. So, Sammy Schultz, UFC thirty-one. Rico Rodriguez is UFC thirty-four. I think right around there, Zufa bought bought the UFC. Did you feel that going from one show to the next, or what's your impression of Zufa? Because you got them at the very beginning. Yeah, well, actually, they bought it yeah, before the semi fight because oh. that three-fight contract was under Zufa. Um, and, you know, Dana White came came down and, um, you know, took us to dinner and, you know, kind of, you know, wind you and dined you for the, for, you know. When, when you uh, say us, the, who's us? Um, who's us? Yeah, who, who, who did the take to dinner? Um, you know, me, Ken, I think Bob was there. You know, they were kind of like the management side of of things. Um, so yeah, it was just it was just the three of us. It was him and maybe um, another one of the UFC uh, staff. Okay, nice uh, it's one of those meals where you look at the price on the menu and then you order that. <laughs> yeah, well, they were just ordering shit, and this maybe was like a uh, you know precursor or some kind of like a sign, but they ordered like this huge tower of, of seafood. There was like oysters and snails and all this, you know, seafood stuff, you know, and I'm a heavyweight at the time. So I was just mowing down. I was, I was, I ate like half of that thing. And I swear to God, the food poisoning I got after that meal. And I've had food poisoning a few times was the worst of my life. Like, Oh my made eighty five. Could have made eighty five, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, I was I was destroyed for for days for for like a week. Wow. It was rough. Thanks, Shane. Yeah. You got like and and we're done at this, but you've got a real even keel personality. Like you're, you know, you're not making the news, but right. you you're also smart enough to kind of realize what's happening around you. What was oh. your opinion of Bob Shamrock? Um, Bob was a, a, a good guy. I mean, he was, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, just what his general, uh, demeanor. I mean, what, what exactly? Well, here, was he a good guy? Was he an opportunist? Was he somebody you got along with? Was he somebody you avoided? No, you got along with him. He was very strongly opinionated and, he definitely, um, you know, he. I was not like his favorite guy because I was I wasn't the rip six pack ab kind of kind of fighter. You know, I was always a little bit 
you know, carried more body fat and a little bit pudgier. And um, even though, I was, you know, I look back and I'm like, fuck, man, I was I was in some pretty good shape. But, you know, still compared to like, <laughs> these other guys. Yeah, you're not you're not as in, in shape. So, you know, he had his his uh, weird quirks. I know. I mean, I listened to Tony's podcast and, you know, um, you know, so they, they mentioned his, you know, you know, uh, the, the thing both, both Frank and yeah. Jason describe him, you know, as a decent man. And it would seem to me that you and Jerry are kind of like clean cut guys that kind of hide some of Ken's stuff, too, from Bob. Did, did you ever get that feeling? Well, I think Bob, I mean, you know, Ken was one of the troubled boys that went through Bob's, you know, program, I think, and then ended up being a counselor. Um, Frank was also there. I mean, you know, that's how, you know, Ken got the Shamrock name. He, he was adopted by Bob and, you know, Bob, Bob was a good guy. He was a gen, you know, he was a giving guy. Um, and, you know, he and Ken and didn't always, you know, get along, but I don't think every anyone really gets along with Ken. Um, great all the time you know and um but yeah you know bob was good and and i remember uh talking to him when he was um you know dying of, of complications from diabetes and you know he he called and you know he um he, you know i just kind of had a small chat with him but it was kind of good to talk to him before he passed um that's because cool. you know he did he did a lot for us, even though, you know, um, you know, he kind of through managing Ken and his craziness and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I think Bob's a good guy. I can't, I can't say anything. Here, Pete, let me just be so, I, I'm not trying to be overly direct here, but sure. do you think there was ulterior motives to him having this boys home or do you think he did it out of the goodness of his heart? Because that, whatever leanings or proclivities he may have had, I, I don't care. Like, his intent, I think, is well, the concept yeah. of his character. No, I think, um, well, I, yes, I do think he was gay. He was married before any of this home. I think he started it with his then uh, wife. Uh, but I don't think it was... At least it didn't come off to me as it was anything other than um, um, a, a, a thing that, you know, him just being a, a um, yeah, kind of person. giving person and a good okay. person. Okay. Um, and that's it. Everything else, who cares? That's the way yeah. I look at it. Exactly. I mean, the fact that he happened to also, you know, be, be gay, but he was like kind of old school, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was like, you know, nice art and statues of, of, you know, Greek, you know, guys kind of gay. He wasn't, you know, like fountains of kids peeing. No, nothing, nothing like that. He, he was, he was more into the six pack ab kind of, you know, thing, but, but again, you know, that's kind of, I never saw anything that would make me feel uncomfortable. Around. Hey, everybody, the next everybody reports that the guy was, you know, whatever he liked behind, but he never let it affect him and never really crossed the line. Nobody's reporting him crossing the line, so 
You got to chalk it up as a decent man. Okay, Miguel, we will get crucified if we don't ask this question. And dude, Pete, this is it. Yeah. When uh, Bolander fought Ferozo, he went to the ring that looked like he had road rash on him from like cuts and bruises. And they said the reason he was able to get that fight was due to the fact that you two fought in the gym and whoever won that fight got to represent Lions Den in the UFC. Yes, um, that is true. Um, okay. Ken, you know, it was this uh, David Goliath tournament and Ken just shows up one day and is like, all right, you know, there's this position open for the UFC. And this was like where I was like six months in the training. This was very early. And I'm thinking, what, what the fuck is this guy, you know, thinking? What, you know, and, uh, you know, Jerry was maybe like nine months in the training. So he's like, you two are going to fight. Whoever wins gets this. And he's like, and if I feel that either of you are not fighting, you know, to your ability, I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I'm going to beat the shit out of both of you. So we're like, fuck, okay. You know, so me and Jerry, you know, we're friends from, from high school and we got to fight each other. And we did, you know, we were going, going after each other. And, um, you know, Jerry, let's say Jerry got me in a leg lock and I was happy to see him go, <laughs> go to the UFC because I felt I wasn't ready for the, you know, for that. And, and um, I think that was like the best, the best situation could have happened because Jerry like really fucking gutted it out in that. I mean, he was, he was definitely ready for, <clears throat> for that. And it just was tough, that format. You know, I think he would have beat Gary, too, if he didn't have uh, that full fight, full 10-minute fight with uh, Ferrozo, and Gary had, like, a 10-second fight. Okay, but how far out of that UFC event did you guys have that? Because Bolander was still beat up walking into the game. Well, that could have been – no, because we didn't beat each other up that that much. Um, Uh. I mean, our fight didn't, didn't last more than five minutes at the most. Um, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't say, but I think it was, uh, it was sufficient time out. And again, you know, we didn't really beat each other up. So any marks he had was probably just from like, you know, regular training or rolling around on the mat, whatever kind of weird mat that they had in Puerto Rico. Who, who knows? Because I, I think it was. Pretty janky, especially in those days. He said it was like a hundred something degrees in the in the freaking arena. It was it was it was pretty wild. So the heroic performance by Jerry Bolander against Scott Rose yeah. as well, in my opinion, that and fight versus should... Gary. You know, <laughs> shit. He he almost had Gary out. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, he lost his teeth against Gary too, but well, he, he it, but he definitely. Uh, Got one almost completely knocked out. I think he has a, a dead tooth from that. Yeah. I, I, I think the Ferozo fight should be in the UFC Hall of Fame in the fight wing. It's an absolute heroic performance and incredibly innovative, uh, wrapping Ferozo's singlet around his neck to choke him out with it after getting <laughs> yeah. ragged out. After getting ragged out. Phenomenal yep. performance. Chris Lytle, I'm done, dude. <laughs>
Man, Pete, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it going down memory lane. One of the pioneers, man. And uh, always like talking to the guys who've been around longer than me. You're definitely one of them. So thank you. Yeah, no, I'm glad to be on. Um, it was it was interesting going over some of this stuff. You know, um, maybe we'll do one with uh, with the other guys because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff. I know there's a lot of stuff that's been left out. Okay. <laughs> so – Galindo has been harassing the rest of the Lions dead for us. Like he's he's just pestering <laughs> them. And, and to call it anything less than that was just disingenuous. He wants right. to do a reunion. And I, I think Galindo is going to ruin the party for our benefit, you know, of, of both Williams and Vernon Tiger White. Miguel, why don't we stick around and do the wrap up after this? And we, we got one combined episode and we don't have to edit it. I'm going to send you yeah. a new link. At, Oh, you just attach it to this. Yeah, I'm gonna send you. Once again, Pete, thank you, man. Thank you, Pete, get out of here, man. Thank you, buddy. All right.